Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, uh, let's study some more in the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses there. That's going to be towards the end of your Bible, and it'll be on the top of the page, what, what actual book you're in. It's a letter that Paul writes to this group of people. Let me tell you a story that gives you an, an overwhelming sense of context of what um, the, the people are dealing with, because it, it, it's almost happened once already. In, um, between 1000 through 4000 AD, there was a, a climate change that took place over the entire world. It's called the Little Optimum. And what happened was uh, the, the earth warmed one and a half, almost two degrees. It was like it was global warming before global warming was cool. And, 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 it, and it absolutely changed Europe. And what happened, if, the, if you compare and contrast the first to the last, at the beginning, a little op- optimum um, in 1000 A.D., uh, there were about 35 million people living in Europe. Ninety-five percent of them were living in little, little villages uh, in what was called subsistence farming. In other words, they were just living, they were just farming enough to barely subside. Most people were suffering from malnutrition and were experiencing extremely hard lives with, uh, with great expectations of hard labor. And that's the way they were living. And they were living in these little hamlets all over. And uh, most, the, 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 it was razor thin, the line between um, bounty in your harvest and, and starvation. And this happened for hundreds of years. And then about 1,000 A.D., the earth started to warm a bit. Now, because of that, while it was devastating for many parts of the world, like northern Africa, for example, uh, Europe all the way to the Arctic Circle, it was a blessing. The, the harvest season, just the whole planting season uh, was lengthened. The probability of crops failing moved to a minimum. And instead of hard labor, they were able to kind of get a great return on their investment. And instead of barely surviving, they actually had surplus. And so if you look over the 400 years of this uh, climate change that took place, by uh, 1300, most of the, the population had almost doubled from 35 million to 80 million. Many of the people had moved from the little uh, hamlets and villages to the major cities because they had so much extra they could begin trading. And so global trade was taking place. And so you, you saw not only a huge population swell, but a movement from farming to city life. And so you see surges in cities like Paris and London. And, you know, peace and security was all about. It was peace and security. It, it was a booming time, and everybody felt safe, and people were well-to-do. And then uh, a flea boarded a rat that boarded a boat from China to Sicily. And in 1348, that flea jumped from the rat from the boat to a man and to other men. And that brought the Black Plague. And if you were bit by one of these infected fleas that came over from the Middle East or the East, there was a 97% chance you'd be dead. And if you were unlucky, you could live a month. And it would be the hardest month you would ever live. You'd spend most of the time screaming. Most, many people died in a week, but most people died in a day. Entire villages were wiped out with no notice because no one could write down what had happened to them. Between 1348 and 1350, in two years, half of everyone died. 
Almost 40 million people died in less than 24 months. There was no prejudice. Kings and popes and bishops and paupers, everyone died. It changed everything. And people responded in three different ways. Uh, there were some people that were um, living, uh, you know, consistent God-fearing Christian lives, and they were not afraid. And they used the last moments of their lives to serve other people that were dying. They died, they lived well, and they died well. And then there, were, uh, there was a second group of people that were living far away from God and never intended to give God much of a, uh, a thought. And then suddenly, you know, they needed to start thinking about deeper things, and so they started attending church. So there was this rush into churches. But on, at the same time, we, we have considerable amount of information that shows that a lot of people in the church left. And we're talking about church leaders and priests and, and bishops. They just said, you know what? If I have a few weeks to live for all I know, and then they started just experiencing all levels and kinds of debauchery. Yeah, there was just this great shuffle because death was at everyone's door. Now, I find it very interesting that it looked something a lot like this video. they get that right? I mean, why is that true? Why is it true in history? And then why do the Simpsons make an episode and say, oh yeah, that's exactly the way people would respond? Because listen, there, what would happen if, if you were given some kind of diagnosis that you would be absolutely dead at the most, the longest you could live for, it would be six months? I mean, you could go buy a tombstone right now and put the end date on there, July 2nd. If you make it to July 2nd, 2014, you can fill in the year, but it'd probably be closer to April. What if you were given a diagnosis from a medical doctor and she said, look, there is, there's no experimental drug in some far-off city. There's nothing down in Mexico or Central America that's not even legal. There's nothing just go home. And, all, and, you, and let's just say you believed it to the point where all of the defenses and all of the energy that is constantly running in our psyche that keeps us believing with all of our distractions, that keeps us believing that we will live a long life and somehow die healthy but old in our sleep. And all of that has stopped. There is a clarity of what our true values are when we have a morning appointment with death. There's a saying that we all get to live two lives. And the, first, and, and, and the second life starts the day we understand that we only have one life. We all live two lives. And the second life begins the day we understand we only have one life. And so... People get sifted, and the things that were kind of locked up are now floating and rattling around. And people that are 
dedicated in their walk with Jesus Christ are maybe angry, but they're not afraid. And they look for an opportunity to, to go deeper in relationships and maybe say things that were unsaid, but they want to make sure they're said. They want, they, they want to enjoy every moment. There are the, the most miserable people are the religious people, and those are the people that are constantly performing, constantly trying to impress either themselves or God or the people around them. And they're just going through these motions, and they're, doing, and, and they're, they're trying to look good for business or maybe look good for the neighbors or look good for the family or just to keep the family quiet, you know, whatever it takes. And so they're always kind, trying to be, quote, good enough, but it's for this other it's this performing. And then when you get this notice that you have a very short time left, you're like, I don't need that. I'm done with that. I want to do what I want to do. And here are the four things that I want to do. And most of them are in this clinic called the debauchery. And then some people, you know, the secular people, sometimes they just kind of stop and pause and they, and they, and they stop long enough and they say, you know, Maybe the fact that there's diminishing returns on everything I'm experiencing is evidence that I long for something deeper. Maybe this, this void that's not seemed to be filled with anything else I've tried for so many years that I long for something more. And, you know, there is a judgment coming, I'll bet, and now I'll find myself in church. And so you, you see this. It happened in real time. It wasn't a cartoon. This, this unearthing of true motives of what's really happening in your soul and what truly motivates you. It was a very good thing. And this is, this is what Paul is dealing with when he's writing this letter to this very en endearing church called Thessalonians, Thessalonica, right? And, he's, and, he's, and they think the day of the Lord is upon them, and that's what he's answering. And this, that's what we'll talk about first. Let me define some terms. We'll talk about the day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. It is, it is the day of reckoning. It is the day of the Son of Man. Uh, it is, in a word, when God says, enough. History ends. It's when he says, it's time to tally. And there is a lot written about the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. As a matter of fact, more, did you know that there's more written about the day of the Lord than there is written about um, the creation story or the fall or the selection of Abraham and the salvation of the Jews out of Egypt and across the Red Sea? <laughs> there, is, there is more written about this topic than almost anything um, in the Bible. There's more written about the Lord's second coming than about his first coming. And, and most of the minor prop, most of the prophets, that's the section at the very end of your Old Testament before you turn to Matthew, but most of the prophets, and especially those little books that are called minor prophets, those are saturated with expectation of this day of judgment. Let me just read you a couple about uh, passages that are about all, the all-inclusiveness of this day of judgment and, and, and these mighty countries with fortified cities and vast armies will simply not have a chance. In Obadiah, it says, The day of the Lord is near, and it's upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall be returned on your own head. Now, Zephaniah is a book. Then the whole book, the theme of the whole book of Zephaniah is the day of the Lord. It is all about this day of judgment. He says, The sound of the day of the Lord, it is a bitter sound. 
The mighty man cries aloud there. It is a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of a cloud of thickness, a day of trumpet blast, a battle cry against the fortified cities, against the lofty battlements. There are 300 references to this day of judgment in the New Testament alone. Go to the last book. Read the last chapter. Read the last paragraph. Read the last two sentences of your Bible, and it says this. Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. The grace of the Lord be with his people. Amen. He's coming. He's coming. And so people have to grasp this, and yet it's very uncomfortable for us to talk about it. It's pretty easy for us to visualize some guy in a, you know, a card thing walking around the street. The end is near, dragging across, you know, all over the country, whatever it might be. But the Bible doesn't talk about it that way, and there's always been scoffers. But listen, you want this day. No matter how uncomfortable it might be for you to talk about, you want this day. Inside your deepest recesses of your soul, you know that the only thing worse than a human history story with a day of judgment is a human history story without a day of judgment. When people talk about, oh, we'll all get to heaven or there'll, there'll be no justice, we get big hugs at the end, I don't even, I don't even entertain it. I say, could you please go back and just study world history? Pick any, any continent continent, any epic, and study how evil men can be and say, will they ever give an account? See, our, our, our souls long for justice. We want this thing to be made right somehow, because if it's not, if it's not, then might makes right. The bullies win, whether it's, a, you know, a bully with a pen, right, or a, a bully with a, a politics, right, a, or, or with a fist, or whatever it might be. Because evil is a parasite. It is, it is an invasion. It is not meant to be here, and someone has to kill this. Because if not, right, then, then the abuse of power, they get away with that. Abuse of power, whether it's a parent that abuses their power, or if it's a politician, whatever it might be. We want them to stand before, before something bigger than they are, and answer. You don't, you don't think that's a, a desire of our hearts? You don't think that's, that's something that we long for? I'll bet each of you have spent $1,000 each on some movie about justice. I mean, not a movie, like hundreds of movies you've watched, and you keep watching them, and you'll see one coming up next week, and then next week, and next week, because you want to see. Friends, these movies are about small towns or big cities in our country. No, no, in all the countries in the world. No, 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 in all planets. We go, outer, we go to outer space to do justice stories. We, we do it in other languages. We want to see justice prevail. We do. I mean, we keep paying. It's the same script, friends. But we, here's another $10. It's the same script. Some bad men are untethered and are reckless in what they do to, to other human beings. They're, they're, un, 
They're unbridled. And then justice is attempted, and it doesn't work because either the judicial system is inept or it's crooked itself. And we're just, it, it better not end. This, what time is it? How much time is left in this movie? It better, it better not end. And then he comes. And he is a sheriff or a superhero from another planet or a really angry father. <laughs> and he takes everybody to task. And everybody pays. And then we say, that's a good story. Will somebody give this guy the license to kill? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll play that same movie 22 times. And you'll wait for the next one to come out. Because we need this. Coming this year, Noah. And if it's even remotely historically accurate... You will cheer when God says, let it rain. Because the evil of man will just do nothing but evil in the sight of his own values. And people will be crying, when, Lord, when? How much longer? How much longer? And he'll say, enough. And you'll cheer. You'll like that. You'll love that movie because you want justice. And when we look at this passage that was before us today, you're going to see he kind of has two different audiences because they have two different lessons for them. First is to unbelievers on that day. And here's what he says to them in the first few verses. He says, look, he says, uh, we don't know when judgment will come, but it will come. We don't know when it will come, but it will come. In verse 1 through 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, brothers, about the times and the dates, we don't need to write you about. We, don't, we know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying, peace and safety, peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. So Paul here is, is, honestly, he's just quoting Jesus, and he's saying, you know what? Nobody knows the date, but just because you don't know the date doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So don't ask about times and eras. I mean, when Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 24, he wrote it, he said it this way. Now, concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. So anytime anybody puts a date to something, you say, well, they're stupid. You can say that to them, yeah. Because the Son of Man doesn't know when the date is, but it's going to happen. And apparently it is certain, and it's going to surprise you. If you look at verse 8, it says, or I'm sorry, verse 3, it says, there, there is, when they are all saying, peace and security, peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. This peace and security is just a, a famous Roman propaganda piece that all is well. Don't worry. Never mind the fire. You know, you know everything's great here. And while all of, when everybody's bragging about how good things are, it will be certain and it will be a surprise, just like labor pains to a pregnant woman. I mean, think of how vivid that is. It's just not like a thief in the night. That's part one of this story. Thief in the night, we don't know when that will happen. They never make appointments. But the pregnant woman is good, right? That's certain. Have you ever gone talk to a woman that's pregnant and said, well, how far along are you? Oh, great. Are you going to have labor pains? Like they have a choice. There's no choice. Yes, I think I will. When? I don't know. 
Well, if you don't know, then you might not have them. Oh, I'm going to have labor pains. I just don't know when. And that's what he's saying. We'll all be running around screaming, look, peace and security, peace and security. And then, like we read last week in chapter 4, verse 16, and the Lord himself will come down out of heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead will be raised. Like that. It'll happen like that. And so, what about Christians? How are we supposed to live in the context of, right, the, the day of the Lord? And I think it's, it's fascinating because um, Paul gives us three, um, they will appear to be, when you sit them right next to each other, but if you look at them collectively, they make more sense. When, when you sit them next to each other, they look like three completely contrasting emotional ways of looking at life. He's going to give us three things to not necessarily do, but have in our souls, right? kind of the, our attitudes, three different attitudes completely. And they're found, uh, the first one is found in four through, um, I don't know, four through eight. Let me read that real quick, and then I'll show you how he's talking about the first one is to be absolutely ready, okay, alert and disciplined. But you brothers, okay, you guys uh, are not in darkness that, that the day should surprise you. In verse 6, he says, then uh, you're gonna, not, not going to be like others who are asleep, but you should be alert and self-controlled. Okay? Be alert and self-controlled. And then verse 8, he says, since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on a faith of, faith of love. I'm sorry, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. So the first thing we're supposed to be is ready, and ready means alert and disciplined. And the idea here is that we are always on guard. We are kind of, we're, we're like on, on a little bit of a patrol. We're out, we're a sentinel out there and we're not to be distracted. Um, what, it, what it means to be alert is uh, not to fall asleep, not to daydream, okay, to keep in mind your spiritual life. The other thing in there is, is, is self-discipline. What does self-discipline mean? It means whatever your body wants, tell it to be quiet. Right? So when it says, hey, let's lay in bed a little longer, it means to get up. Hey, let's eat some more of that. It means eat less of that. Whatever your body wants, don't do that. That's what self-discipline is for the most part. Maybe just me. I don't know. But the idea here is that it's a, he's a soldier. And I want you to see that because, because he's like leaning forward. He's at attention. He's always on the lookout. And that's how he's aware. He's alert and self-disciplined. The reason I'm bringing up this this. Uh, attitude of a military personnel is because it looks like he's in a uniform. If you look at verse uh, 8 there, it says, okay, be self-controlled, putting on the faith and love as a breastplate, right? Faith and love is covering our innards. This is the soul in that worldview. This is where we keep our soul. And so faith and love is going to keep that safe. And then what does it say? Hope of salvation for our helmet. And Right. And so there's the faith, hope, and love that we talked about in chapter 1. And these guys are, are doing an excellent job of practicing, living out faith, hope, and love. And he says, look, okay, the hope of your salvation, you'll be thinking the right things about the promises of God. You'll do well. But if you, you need to cover your soul right, with, with truth and love, with faith and love needs to cover this part. And you're supposed to be standing there, standing there on patrol waiting. So the first part is to be alert. And, and this idea of being self-disciplined it, it, and, and alert usually has to do with ethical decisions that you're going to make, that you don't get lazy with your ethical decisions. And 
The rest of the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians are, are actually applications of how to make ethical decisions in light of the, the Lord's return. And so we're going to spend the rest of our series on that, but I don't, I don't want to uh, belabor the point here, but I, that's the point. It, it, simply put, if you have a question and you don't know what to do and you're being tempted to be less than self-controlled and you're on a business trip somewhere or you kind of look left and you look right and you think no one's watching, I can get away with this, what could happen? Paul is saying, stand at attention, be alert, be disciplined, and keep this in mind. Do you want to be doing that thing when the sky opens up and the Lord appears like a thief in the night and the water drops and the labor pains begin? Is that what you want to be doing? No, I don't think you do. We'll look at those specifics as we go into our series, but that's what he's talking about when he says alert and self-discipline. But now watch this. While we're at attention, right, we're at attention and we're focused, we're laser focused, he says, but you ought to relax. You need to be secure. You need to calm down and not be afraid. Look what what it says in verse 9 and 10. Look, look, look. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are asleep or awake, we may live together with him. <laughs> you see, while, while we're on patrol and we're in this uniform and we're living our lives day to day, he just says, but you're on the winning team. Look how he uses, I mean, in just one sentence, it's just so loaded with the power of the gospel, right? The power of this gospel. He says, past tense, right? Past tense, you didn't, you, you, God did not appoint you to suffer wrath. He's already made his choices with his children, and you will not suffer wrath. Why? Why? Because you've already received salvation. Why? The verse, just keep reading. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Just keep reading. He died so that, whether you're asleep or awake, you may live with him. This helmet of salvation, right? the hope that we put on our head, what's rattling around in our head, his love never fails. It never gives up. His love never fails. It never gives up. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. He swore, he swore he would always love me, and he can't unlove me. He says, look, you stand at attention, but you keep this in mind while you're ready, set, and waiting, and so self-disciplined. You know this. You're mine. I bought you. (laughs) You will not not suffer, suffer wrath. You will be with me. That's how it ends in 10. So that we may live together with him. The last thing he says besides being alert and, and, right, be be secure is is to be caring. I love this part because when you see them all together, you can see how they make sense. Be caring. In verse 11, it says, therefore, therefore, with all that in mind, okay, your helmet, your breastplate on, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. And you know what? Just like you guys have already been doing. You guys have already been doing this. And and so he's just like, look, you, you you have this assurance because of this hope of salvation, and you have faith and hope as a breastplate, and so you're you're standing ready. And then you are, the, the idea here is we're, on a, we're in a platoon and we're on, we're on patrol, right? And, and there's some guys that are just, they're new recruits. They haven't, they're not even shaving yet. They, they can't even lace up their boots yet. And so the older men and women are encouraging the newer ones. 
the ones that are easily frightened, the ones that scare simply. They don't understand. This war is won already. You know, they've all but surrendered. So you encourage them. You more mature ones encourage the less mature ones. You, some guys that are older in the Lord, in the Lord, are going around picking people up, giving them your rations. Sounds simple. You know, did you, have you done it in the last six days? How about the next six days? You should speak into people's life. Again, consider yourself out on maneuvers. And you, you need to speak love and, and encouragement and truth about the hope of salvation. You can speak gently. You can yell and scream loudly. Whatever gets through to a person that helps them live a great life. So that when the sky opens up and the Lord comes down and a booming command and the trumpet of an angel, they're glad. They were glad they were in a foxhole or on maneuvers with you. They want you to just do what it takes. So you look at this passage and it's pretty simple. It says, we don't know when the day of the Lord is, but we know there will be the day of the Lord, and so we should live like it. We don't know when the day of the Lord is, but we know there is a day of the Lord, and we should live like it. Uh, there's a great story of, of Ernest Shackleton. You might have, he's one of the greatest explorers in, in the Western world. In, uh, I think, 1914? Yeah, 1914, he and his crew uh, decided to explore Antarctica, and they were going to cross Antarctica across the South Pole. And so they went and they left in August and by November 15th, uh, not November 1915, they finally get close, but, but the ice is breaking up and it, and it captures the ship and it, then it closes in on the ship and they have to abandon everything. They have to take as little as they possibly can because they have a long way to go and it crushes the ship and sinks it. They have three lifeboats and some necessities and there for four months they're just kind of glacier hopping trying to live. And then they finally find an abandoned island and they sit there for a few months and they realize just the months are ticking away and they, they ate the, the dogs already. And then they ate the bones of the dogs. And, and so Shackleton said, look, there's 27, 28 altogether. And so Shackleton grabs five and says, I'll take one of these lifeboats and we'll just close our eyes and hopefully get in the Pacific uh, lanes and, and hopefully we can get to Georgia, this little island. It's, it was throwing a, a dart, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere to hope, hopefully land on this little South Georgia island. And he said, we'll come back for you. And so Frank Wilde was his second in command, and he, said, he stayed back with the 22 uh, remaining men, and he said, I'll, I'll, we'll be waiting for you. And they waited. Oh, they waited a long time. They waited days, and then they waited weeks, and they waited months. They waited a total of four months and, and when, they, when Shacklin ended up, he, it's a long story, you've got to rent the movie. Shacklin ends up coming back, and every man lives because of the courage and the understanding of what it takes to live like you're going to die any moment with Shackleton and especially Frank Wilde. And when they asked Frank Wilde, they said, how did you do it? How did you keep the men alive? He said it was simple. It was simple. Every single day for four months, 120 days, we woke up the same way. I woke up chipper. I said, guys, roll up your sleeping bags. Pack up all your tents. He's coming today. He's coming today. 
And so every day, he built a whole new set of hope. And so they were constantly standing on guard. That meant, you know, they were awake and they were self-disciplined. They were convinced that Shackleton would return. And they constantly encouraged one another. There was a rebel in the crowd, and the rebel had to sleep (laughs) with the second in command. He wouldn't let him poison the rest, and they didn't want to kill him. That's... That, that story, that Shackleton story, is the story that Paul is talking about. It's the story that Jesus was talking about when he says, I'm going to return soon. And so what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he knew that you and I forget easily? And we give in to the scoffers and the skeptics out there that are constantly saying, peace and tranquility, peace and security, where's your king now? End of the world, judgment day? Gosh, if there was just some way that he could get us up occasionally and tell us, roll up your sleeping bags, pack your tent, because today he's coming. Don't forget. Just if there was something that was a supernatural, mystical, spiritual event that would summarize all the promises he's fulfilled and talk to all the promises in the future. It would be this. It would be the Lord's table. Let's practice that today. Let's practice that with the knowledge that he did this so that we would constantly be alert, disciplined, that we would have a certainty of the hope of our salvation and the breastplate that is faith and love. That we would, we would, we would have this tranquility in our inner souls and that we would encourage one another. And so as we pass out the bread, go ahead, uh, men, ladies, pass out the bread. He, he took this bread on the date uh, that he would be betrayed by Judas and, and, he, and he took it and he said, look, guys, all of those promises that led to today, listen to me, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you so that you won't have to be broken. You do this, you do this to remember me. So let's pass the bread together. Let me remind you what Jesus said when he talked about his second coming. He said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the son of man, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving to marriage, peace and safety, peace and safety. And upon the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the floodwaters came and took all of them away. That's how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man a second time. Two men will be in a field and one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken, and the other one will be left. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help this meal this day confirm in our minds that the promises that you fulfilled that you, when you came the first time would give us hope that you will bring justice to the world, and we would prepare our lives for that. In Jesus' name.
Let's take the bread. We do not know the day that he is coming, but he's coming. Let's take the bread. On that same night after they broke the bread together, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood, and I'm making a blood covenant with you. And I swear to me that I'll return. This blood covenant represented that his death would pay the price for all of our sins. And, and, and so we can be at peace because of the knowledge of our salvation, that there is no wrath for us, only salvation because of his death and his resurrection. Let's pass out the cup. And let me pray. Go ahead and continue to pass it out. Lord Jesus, we are grateful. Let this cup remind us of the blood that was shed, your blood, not the blood of a bull or a ram, uh, but your precious blood. And that blood covered all of our sins, not because of what we did, but what we received from you. Let, us, let, let this moment give us confidence of the power of the gospel that has caused our very souls to be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup and, and do it with this in mind, that we, are, we know that the Lord will return, and so we will stand ready, but we will be at peace because of this blood covenant, and we will encourage one another. Let's drink. I love what Martin Luther said when he was asked, if you knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant a tree. 
What? I'd plant a tree. Why is that? Because that's what I was going to do anyway. He was already living his life as though every day were his last day. And today, I'm going to plant a tree. It's the right thing to do. So when Jesus did this communal meal, he finished it with this. So whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, do this and proclaim it until I return, until the Lord returns. So this is a memory tool. It's to help us remember. Roll up your sleeping bags. Pack your tent. He's coming today. Let's sing a couple songs. And what I'd like you to do is consider just getting into the moment of the songs. As I pray, I'll ask that to happen. But one's about being before the very throne of God. Could you picture this meal before the throne of God with our brothers and sisters and all things made right? And then this, the last one that we've been waiting four months to do this message with this song that Sarah wrote about not being afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. You just keep singing that until you are convinced that because of Christ, there's no reason to be afraid. Lord Jesus, um, we ask that if not the words of, of this monologue, then the words on this page, these, these holy words that you have given us to give us confidence, let that change our heart and mind. And if not that, then this communal meal, the sacrament that gets inside of our spirits in mysterious ways, that would convince us of your conquering love. And still, just accent it with more flavor. Let these songs, the words of these songs, be joyful towards your ear, but be convincing to our mind. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.